Hi, welcome back to 3 out of 10. This episode is sponsored by inaudible.com. Just regular books. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was some, some really great fake laughing. Thanks, guys. How How is everybody? <coughs> I'm sick. Good. <coughs> I'm great. Um, I mean, if he's sick, then I'm great. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have a cider in my hand, and I'm sitting on my bed, and my cat is uh, in another room where she can't annoy me, so I'm doing fantastic. Yes. Yesterday, uh, I spent, it was like about 35 here, and I was working outside the entire time, and this morning, I was out, this morning, it was raining and like 50, and I was out there for about six hours, and I think that was just enough for my body to go, hey, fuck you. Uh-huh. Boohoo. Okay. Um, so, I think our topic was going was supposed to be college stories. Right? Yes. Tales of woe or joy, either way. Somebody else go first because I'm. It's dead day right now, so if you want to get real up to date, I have to finish a paper that was due a week ago, and then I have to uh, pretend to study for three finals tomorrow. Yay. that's not a college story story. oh we should oh okay for reference um jack went to a&m graduated uh last year with an ma or with the ms or whatever um ian and i well i went to the university of dallas and ian is still at the university of dallas as a senior right now um and i was an english major and it didn't end well but i made it through (laughs) And so just to let people like know like the different experiences because Jack, like I said, A and M, massive, crazy, insane school. And Ian and I went to UD, which is a small private Catholic liberal arts major nerd school. So just context. All right. Jack, I'm sure you have some like ridiculous drinking story that you want to share. I've got so, I've got so much stuff lined up. <laughs> oh boy. Take it away. Good God. Um I don't even know. Okay, so my college experience was divided into a couple of very specific, like I guess, eras. So for the first like the first four years I was advising everything you what? I don't know. You just have a history of like turning your life into a series of micro histories. I can't prove that statement because I don't actually remember what any of them are, but I feel like every time you talk about like what happened last week, you're like, well, first I was this kind of person. And then I had a life changing experience on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a goddamn storyteller. Show me some respect. Yeah, but you, you didn't. You only Katie and I have actually, like, you know, written fiction. Yeah. And had a person. A person I have a published. I have a published children's book. Oh yeah, you wrote a book, and technically, it's, well, it's, yeah, I have a freaking book that though? people can buy. But, Not that people are buying it, but they could if they wanted to. You guys want to know how many copies of that I've sold? How much money did you make? I have sold. 
by the way, just for reference, it's only for Kindle. Seven copies. Yay. In a year and a half. That's kind of sad. I've made about $30. Okay. Hey, that's, that's, like, that's a tank of gas for me. Sort almost. It's like three-fourths yeah, of a tank. Really, really worth the effort and the passion poured into it. And go ahead, Jack. Come on. So... Um, some context at Texas A&M, there's this thing called the Corps of Cadets, and I'm not going to talk about my personal experience, my personal opinions on how good or bad of an organization it is, because this is going public. But basically, it's a um, uh, it's a military uh, style like cadet leadership program. Think of it as like a teeny tiny like mini West Point that's at a public school, which is Texas A&M. So there's about three thousand cadets in it. And about uh, 40% or so of everyone who goes through it will become a, uh, like an officer in the military and the other 60% uh, do not. They just go on to do regular things in life. But you have to wear uniforms to class all day and so on and so forth. So I did that for my four years, my first four years at AM. And most of my life and most of the stupid shit that I did or happened to me was because of you know that military kind of living in a dorm and stupid stuff like that. And then my fifth year, um, at A&M, I was in a master's program and I was not in the core anymore. And I worked as a bouncer at a really raucous bar for that one year. So all the stuff that happened, that's actually worth talking about. My fifth year was usually because I was working at a bar where people basically just went to go to get in fights, not like roadhouse, but still fun. So what do you guys want me to talk about? Like core army stuff or like bouncer stuff? Um, no one felonies. wants to hear about the army stuff. Let's <laughs> read your rap sheet um, now. And uh, I'll, I'll forward this podcast to the uh, attorney, army uh, attorney general. That's not a thing. But yeah, let's do that. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Tell us about like the, the what was the most insane fight you ever witnessed okay so for a couple of months we had a girl who was working there and for some reason we had we had a girl working as one of the bouncers and it was it wasn't to like kick people out it was uh or like fighting people it was mainly we needed a like a female to help us kick out girls because it's kind of hard to push a girl out the door because then they get you know, really upset. And then they can say you sexually harass them if you touch them. And like, it's, there's a lot of legal gray areas and I get it. Like, so yeah, they hired a girl to help kick out drunk girls. And there was a night where some dude like kind of grabbed her ass and she spun around and like kind of pushed him away. And she pushed him mm-hmm. into a group of already other angry dudes who are arguing with each other. And <laughs> so she shoved this guy and then he fell into this like this little collection of people already yelling at each other and they thought he just wanted to fight and this this was like two 250 pound dudes and like an average sized dude and they just started going at it and at this point in time the bar was body to body packed as in you couldn't move without squeezing between people and these three dudes started just shoving each other back and forth, but there's already no space. So then other people get involved because there's nowhere to go. And they were like, fuck, let's fight. And I was on the outside doing gate security and I stuck my head in and I saw probably about 10 different people just flinging drinks. Heads are going into tables. Somebody picked up a chair 
Two of the bartenders, <laughs> oh two of the bartenders clamp on the bar and leap out of the bar and just tackle somebody. And someone's, I just heard someone scream, cop, get a cop. And so I sprinted across the street and I just found two like, you know, bike cops. So it was like, boys fight. And they followed me. And so I dragged these cops through the crowd, like shoving and throwing people out of the way. And then they started rounding guys up and yanked them out. And you know, the, the poor girl who started this whole thing by accident because she was just trying to defend herself just, like, went and, like, locked herself in the kitchen and just sat, like, hyperventilating for 20 minutes because, like, duh, she was at the center of this thing because she was doing what was no right and was shoving this guy. Um, and so the cops ended up interrogating, like, eight different people out in the street behind the bar. And, and all of us bouncers who just were unlucky enough to be on the wrong side of the bar and not get in on it were kind of stupidly jealous. Like, oh, I wanted to be in a fight. But people got fucking hurt. Um, let's see. What else? Um, there, was this, there was this system that me and a friend of mine uh, developed for how to kick out dudes if he and I wanted to take someone out together. Um, and we figured out that he was all, he's like a foot shorter than me. He's a short dude. Um, but he's really strong and throws a good punch. And he figured out that it'd be fun if he and I would team up on certain guys who needed to go or I would be the one to choke them out. And then he would stand in front of them and either, you know, hit them if he had to, or just drag them out. Obviously we weren't setting people up to like beat the shit out of them. That's illegal. But there was a guy one night who we told him like, you need to go. And he said, no, We're like, no, it's time to go. And then I kind of like signaled my friend to come over and he followed, he walked over to the table and the guy's like, I'm not fucking going. You guys are pussies. And then he like picked up his beer and dumped it out on the table right in front of us. Ew. And we said, oh, you're done. So I just kind of barely grabbed like the corner of his shirt to kind of help him out the door. And he immediately went to swing at me. So I spun him around and I got behind his back and I put my arm under his chin. And then my, the other bouncer got in front of him and just grabbed the front of his shirt and just pulled him forward out the door while I pushed him with my arm around his throat. And then once he's outside the door, you just release, you give him one final push into the street and then quickly go back inside. So it doesn't get a lot worse. Um, and obviously we, we were only allowed to be that you know rough with people if they started it. And at that point, you know, you're totally allowed to and required to do what you have to, to keep someone from fighting. Um, typically like, it was uh, the way that we're taught to, you know, deal with people like that is you do everything even physically possible to keep them from throwing a punch because you're keeping them from having to face assault charges if you do that. So it was more about keeping the peace than it was ending a fist fight. Yeah. So when I imagine the interview to become a bouncer, I picture like you just go in and you flex and crack your knuckles and tell them that you're a black belt and they give you the job. Um, actually, so when I went to become a bouncer, um, that was when I was a little skinnier than I am now. I was 5'11 and weighed about 155, 54 pounds. Are you not still 5'11? This, the people listening don't know that. No, I mean, like, the way you said I was 5'11, like, you, your height has. No, you know what I mean. Like, he's 5'12 now. (laughs) No, I'm actually 5'13 now. So, I only weighed like 150 something pounds when I went to that interview, but they were so short on people. Like there were so many fights happening. People were stealing stuff. People were snorting cocaine in the bathrooms. They needed more bodies. Welcome and so to I- Bible camp. We're all children. We're all children of God. Goodbye. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a great one. So anyway, I walked in and I was like, hey, my uh, a friend of mine at the Bush School said, you guys need help here. I would like to work here. And they were like, cool. Are you a good worker? I was like, yeah. Like, Can you hold your own? I was like, yeah. Like, cool. Fill this out. Come back tomorrow night. We'll give you a shirt. Sweet. And that was it. Very good. Nice. <clears throat> oh, here's a, here's a fun tidbit. I'm not going to give out names, but there was mm-hmm. at the listen, – listen, this is fun. At, uh, there was a certain um, Texas A&M wide receiver who we kicked out of our bathroom for snorting coke who is now an NFL player. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Why am I not surprised? But I'm not saying who it was, but he was – he was drafted pretty early, um, and I he's 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 making the money now. But that dude was in my bar, you know, <laughs> doing his thing. If you if you annihilate wow. your septum, you can run faster. <laughs> Less air resistance. All that air coming up your nose, you know, like it just it goes right up your nose and out your ears easier. <laughs> for that hail mary pass. So you gotta, <laughs> gotta get rid of it. Okay, who's who's gonna go next? I've been talking for like nine minutes. Um, I don't have any good college stories because me and my friends are boring. Yeah. Um. Same. Like I have travel like, stories. We I do too. Going and drinking a lot, and then like just sitting and talking. Like it's UD. There's no. Yeah. There's no crazy business. The crazy stuff that happens is when I don't know they try to ban smoking, or if uh, like oh, that was if funny. someone yeah. gets their like someone got their yeah. a bunch of people got their their rear window smashed in an old mill. Uh, like oh, I remember year. that. Yeah, one of them was a uh, um, someone I know, and she had a couple LGBT stickers on the back of her car, and she uh, is pretty sure that it was like homophobic like it was probably I was like hey look it's a gay and then smashed her window but then there was someone else who also had theirs smashed and they had like there was nothing that made it make any sense yeah. so who knows but anyway yeah nothing nothing interesting uh, nothing fun happens here I did some stuff in Germany Germany was fun um, yeah yeah <laughs> feel free to elaborate um, I mean, there wasn't, uh, I don't know. Like I just, I, I didn't personally, okay. I don't know. There were just a lot of weird people and fun characters to be had while I was there, but there, I didn't personally do a whole lot. I just hung out with some. Wait, 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 wait. There were fun characters to be had. Were you fucking the fun characters? Are sure. we talking about cartoon characters? Did you fuck SpongeBob? Jack, did you, Jack, your humor sucks. Why? Um, see, just my septum joke was great, and that was just <laughs> so. You have to say your joke was great. One class. Class. Okay. Um, so, right. no, there were just, there was a guy named Luke, and Luke's from uh, Minnesota, and he, uh, oh, yeah. he drank Minnesota. from dusk till dawn till dusk. One time, Luke uh, agreed to come with me and three other people to a lake near Munich for a day trip, and we agreed to meet at the train station at a certain time. We all go down there, and he's not there, so we're all like, huh, I guess we just for- we just need to go wake him up, because we're all staying in the same hostel. 
So we just decided to take the next train an hour later. We go back and he's not in his room. And then finally we get a hold of him. Like someone texts him finally. And he's like, oh yeah, uh, I went down to the train station at eight like we planned, but uh, no one was there, but I, I got on anyway. So he just got on a train and went to the Alps without us just by himself. Uh, and we, we went and did our thing and it was fun, but we did it without him. And he just kind of vanished and we actually lost touch with him and no one could get a hold of him. This was on a Saturday. No one got a hold of him until Monday morning. And uh, like I messaged him that morning. I was like, Hey man, you, you alive? And he responded and class had already started that morning. And he responded with a picture of like a train station somewhere in the general area, but not in our town. And he was like, I'm, I'm making my way. And he was like, I'm coming back. And then he, he, I, I was in class and he was in a different uh, German level from me. So I heard him enter his room and he was like, hey, like just like walking in like an hour late because they were like three hour classes, just walks in an hour or two hours late, just like I made it. And uh, yeah, so it turns out he just he just got on a train and went to the Alps and found another group from our our, our another a, a few other people from our group he happened to run into. So he hung out with them for a bit and then he just disappeared into Munich for like a whole night and like no one saw him or knew where he was and he just came back and he was fine so that was luke that was just kind of the thing he did um just never stopped drinking one time we were sitting around and jack not you jack the um uh jack hogarty or whatever his name is dude from uh cua who's like a hardcore just kind of super generic frat guy who would wear like you know knee-high socks with his newbies and then like cargo and uh, like a sweatshirt like he was just 110 percent frat dude and he uh we were sitting around drinking and he was like you know i could really i love all this german beer but i could really go for a shitty american beer you know just i just miss it and then luke just very unhumored just without without like blinking is just like yeah i could really go for a for a keystone right now and we <laughs> what is wrong with you <laughs> You real like you're, beer, you're, beer you're kind of in and out, still, Ian, but I think we got the yeah Keystone is P, but still. <laughs> we were at the, uh, the brewery at the taking our brewery tour, and there were all these awards for the for Hofmuhl beer on the wall, and uh, we were going through there. Jack standing next to me, and we're looking at the whole group's looking at all the stuff on the wall, and Jack leans over and he's like. They got, look at that. He points at a blue ribbon on the wall in a case, and he's like, they got a blue ribbon, but it ain't like caps. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was a good time. Wow. A, lot of, a lot of drinking, a lot of people making bad decisions. I was responsible. I would go, I'd drink a lot, I'd have fun, and then it, as soon as it was like one, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to bed because I don't want to be totally fucking hungover in class tomorrow, and other people would not do that. And then who knew they'd be leaving class to go puke in the morning and gee, you know, <laughs> see like both of y'all did your, did your study abroad type stuff, you know, in, in cool, classy beer filled Europe. But all of my, my travels were all, you know, Mong- uh, Morocco. I'm sorry, we drink wine in Italy. What? Okay. Jack, yeah, do you want to give about, us that list again? Talk because... about the desert. Huh, I was about to go, but whatever. And Katie, tell us a college story. Okay. This one well, time in the library, about- somebody was talking loud, and it was like crazy. The library. I'm Katie. I read books. 
I mean, you kind of have to. When you're, doesn't when you, like when you're get your fucking teenage stereotypes in order. Yeah, Jesus. Okay. Um, so, no, I figured since we're talking about travel, I could tell the story of my first night in London, which was also one of the worst nights of my entire Ooh. life. So, during the. So, oh, for those who don't know, most students at UD go on the Rome semester. It's one of the biggest draws to the university. Um, and you go and you live and study for the semester um, on the school's private campus in Rome, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, you get a 10-day break and you're, everybody is kind of encouraged to leave campus and travel around Europe, wherever they want to go for those 10 days. They have to. You, you, so yeah, they close, they close campus. Yeah. They close campus down. You have to go. Um, even if you just find like a hostel in Rome because you're too cheap to go anywhere else, you have to leave campus. So it's called 10-day or your 10-day trip or whatever. And for my 10-day, two of my friends and I went off to the UK and we did a little kind of quick tour. We spent a few days in London, a quick stop in Cardiff, a couple more days in Edinburgh, and then uh, ended it in Dublin quite miserably, to be honest. But um, London was great, except for, as I said, <clears throat> the first night. So backstory, context, all very important facts. So uh, it was my friend Maria and I and our friend Amanda, who we didn't know as well, but she didn't have anyone else to go with. So, um, And Maria and I had a friend named Rachel who had um, transferred out of UD after our freshman year. But at her new school, she happened to be doing her semester abroad at the same time as us, except hers was in England. So she managed to get a couple of days off to come meet up with us in London um, and show us around so that she kind of knew it much better than we did. So we plan to meet with her and the thing is this is i'm old this is 2013 out of the three of us only one of us had a smartphone and that was maria and she did not have uh, like roaming like international data plans and stuff were like a lot more expensive and a lot like more difficult back then so she didn't want to use any of her data unless she absolutely absolutely had to and i was the only one with social media and the only way that we were contacting Rachel was through my Facebook. So Rachel made this plan with us. When we got to London, she would meet us at a statue. And she sent me a picture of the statue. I will post it to Twitter or something when, we, when I, this goes up. Um, and she told us, this is at XYZ um, train station, tube station. Meet me at the statue at Houston tube station. And we'll, um, then I'll take you from there to the hostel. So that was the plan. <clears throat> Um, the day, uh, this is in February, by the way, just keep that in mind, London in February, it's not ready. Um, so another fun fact is when you study abroad, especially when you're all staying on one small campus together, about a hundred people, everyone is sick all the time. Um, you like, we all just, when I was there, well, you got lucky. We all just, we all, in my class, we all just constantly had the sniffles. It just kept going around and around and around. Um, and most of the time, like it was most of the time, it was just like a mild head cold kind of thing that came and went. But for some reason, the morning that we left, the the morning of the day that we were to go to London, we actually left like in the afternoon. I woke up with a raging fever, which is fun. And, um, and my, and Maria, uh, wasn't feeling too great either. So, uh, but off we went to London. We flew into Stansted Airport because that's where the budget airlines go. And please avoid doing that if ever you fly to London for any reason because it's a pain in the ass to get from there into Central. So we flew into Stansted and then customs was pretty quick and easy. And then we went 
we had to figure out how to get a train into actual like London, London. And we figured it out after like two hours of hemming and homing and finally got to this tube station where we were supposed to get off and meet Rachel. Right. Um, And as we're going off, it's kind of different from other like subways and uh, metro lines that I've used before where like you swipe your little train ticket at the beginning and then you just keep it at, at the tube or at least at this station. I don't know. You had to like surrender at the end, you put it in a little machine and it eats it and keeps it. And we didn't know what was happening. We were very confused. <laughs> so we're trying to get, it's pretty slow at this. There's not really that many other people around. We're trying to like figure out how we get past these turnstiles to leave the station. And um, this little old man, this little old, um, London Underground employee with his little uniform and he round spectacles and a hat and I swear to God he looked like he walked straight out of a Paddington movie and he sounded exactly like Michael Caine. You think I'm making this up but what? we could not believe he was real. He goes, he's a sweet little face. He's on the other side of the turnstiles and he goes, you ladies look like you could use some help and we're like, yes, we don't understand and he explained to us and we got out and we thanked him and we asked him do you know where the statue is? And he had no idea. <clears throat> it's supposed to be at this station, right? Um, and then we go up uh, the stairs. By the way, the statue is a very n- generic bronze statue of a Victorian man with um, like giant sideburns and a trench coat, like standing on contraposto. That's all we know. We don't even know the name of it. Can't statue. be a lot of those in London. <clears throat> we just know it. I know, right? We just know it's supposed to be somewhere at this station. So we go outside. And of course, it is just pouring down and absolutely freezing and dark and horrible. And like, there's a part of us that's like, oh, but it's London. But it wasn't fun. It was just miserable. And keep in mind, we're all sick and I have a fever. Um, And I'm starting to develop a pounding. (laughs) So we look around a little bit. We walk around. We don't find, we can't find the statue. We ask a couple of people, we ask kiosk and she tells us the statue doesn't exist and she has no idea what we're talking about um we are in despair we spend like another good half an hour just walking around the general neighborhood um hoping that we'll stumble upon it um and then i see standing in front of a hotel a concierge talking to some girls giving them directions and i was like hey we'll talk to him that's his job he's supposed to know um where stuff is in this uh you know on this block or whatever so we go up to him <clears throat> And he was Italian, which was funny because we'd just come from there. His name was Massimo, and he was great. He made fun of us a little bit at first, but I tried to tell him about the statue. And he was like, can you show me a picture? That might help. Reminder, my Facebook, Maria's phone, no data. So he brought us inside and let me log on log on to my Facebook on his computer at his desk. Um, and <laughs> I showed him the picture, and he said, oh, um, I remember that statue but I think they took it down, and uh, I wasn't, I'm not exactly sure where it was. <coughs> so we said, thanks, huh. thanks a lot. That's super helpful. Um, by now, we've been looking for this for over an hour <clears throat> in the cold. Like, this is, the, coming into the hotel is the first time we've come inside in roughly an hour since leaving the station. <sighs> so we wander around some more, and we finally realize that at this station, there's like a courtyard that's set back from the road um, with some restaurants and stuff and then the other entrance. And that's where the statue is. We finally found it because the entrance to this courtyard was so dark. We just passed it by. We finally found it. No Rachel. And if anyone's curious, the statue is of Robert Stevenson, who was a Victorian railway engineer. Um, 
uh, our friend is nowhere to be seen. So we wait for her for about another half an hour thinking maybe she's just running late. Um, maybe we got our times mixed up and we're late anyway. So we'll see what's going on. She still doesn't show up at this point. I just want to lay down and die. Uh, I feel horrible. Finally, I managed to convince Maria to use a little bit of her data to let me log into Facebook on her phone um, to try to contact Rachel because we don't have her number. We are just talking to her through my Facebook messenger. Oh, I finally get a hold of Rachel. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I waited for you guys for ages and then you didn't come. So I just went back to the hostel to warm up for a little while. I'm coming right away. It took her like another 20 minutes to get there. And there goes Jack. Oh, God, whatever. I'm just going to keep talking. It took us like, <laughs> we'll just bring him back in after this. It took us about another 20 minutes to get from there to the hostel. And then as we're settling in, um, I'm realizing that, like, I knew what I signed up for. Like, we were in a, a dorm style room with like 20 other beds, and most of them were men. And, like, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew it was what I had signed up for, and there was going to be no privacy. But I don't think I had really been ready for it. Because um, mm-hmm. my bedroom was kind of in a corner up against the my, – my bedroom, my bed was uh, in a corner up against the wall. Um, so it was a fairly private little spot. Um, and uh, I was on the bottom bunk. And so – after we've been there for a little while and we've kind of settled in and we were um, hanging out in the common room, I went back to get something out of my backpack on my bed. And as I turn the corner, I see a man standing there in his tidy whities and nothing else. And when I say tidy whities, I mean they were tight. Okay. And I was ne- like 19 and still. I was still, I know, but I was still very, very innocent. He may as well have been. I was so upset. And I was. I, he was about to get into the top bunk. So I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I ran away. And then uh, um, and then I just had to sleep with the knowledge that this guy was, like, in the bunk above me, pretty much completely naked. Um, nice. And uh, snoring loudly, of course. And then as um, right before we went to bed, I discovered I had lost the, my phone. The special phone that dad borrowed from a coworker to give to me to use in the case of emergencies was gone. I had either dropped it or I had been pickpocketed and it had disappeared. And I cried myself to sleep um, because I hated everything. I'm the hostel and I still had like a horrible headache and a fever. And uh, I had lost a cell phone that wasn't even mine. And I was going to have to pay back for that somehow. Turns out I didn't because um, Damon paid for it. But um, yeah. So it was the worst night of my life in London. And uh, it just blows my mind how stupid we were. Like, not to get Rachel's number, not to, like, yeah, download. Yeah, fucking stupid. Yeah. I never had something like that happen. Um, the only, When I went to London, I like, the only thing that happened was when I went to London, I booked uh, a room in a shitty, like, two-star hotel above a Bangladeshi restaurant um, in on. Uh, in Brick Lane, in uh, where was it? East near Aldgate, and I, uh, it was not good. But I booked it through Airbnb, and I was like, I had the, I got, I couldn't find the place for a bit, and then I finally did, and it was like, I was like one of the only customers. It was clearly like less, wait, less than a year old, mm-hmm. and it's probably closed now because <laughs> the dude just was not in a good location and just was not good at running his crummy little hotel. So it was clean, 
but probably only because it was new yeah and yeah it was like the walls were paper thin um it was it wasn't good but it was it was spacious at least and i had you know it was it was fine but it, i wouldn't yeah. have done that again if i knew what it would have been but that was it like i yeah. never i just i had data i never had a problem navigating um there was never like a i'm surprised was there was never a like a primitive time compared to now it, it just it wasn't it, 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 it was for a bunch of homeschool kids whose parents didn't want to buy them smartphones okay um yeah but, and like i said the know, plans weren't used to be like they said the plans weren't as good back then either anyway so you know phones and stuff so yeah. really you just should have had her freaking number like that yeah would have been but again like it still would have like it still would have problems. cost a ton of money to call her was was, was the thing but yeah anyway traveling. um let's get jack back of, in here and wrap, the rest, wrap this up i have things to do sure. well the rest of man. the the rest of the like london part of the trip was fine um and the hostel was fine like once i like in the morning you know once i was past my trauma it was great um and uh, I don't. I wouldn't stay in a room like that again if I if I didn't have to because it was so cheap. But uh, like it was a cool place. It was in this really big old Victorian mansion. Well, I don't know if it was a mansion. It was a big house though, and uh, still with like a lot of original fixtures and stuff. So that was fun. But anyway, right. yeah. Let's get Jack back let's, in here. Let's get Jack and Jack in this in this John C. Yep. All right. What's what's left? I I feel like I should have come up with like something that was like properly college-y and not just a travel story. Well, it's called travel oh, story. Boy. I was sure, but Jacks weren't. I can I can uh, give y'all some travel I stories. I can talk about my fair. I can talk about my fair lady. <laughs> Why would you talk about that my fair bad. lady? Uh, as in, when I was in my fair. You lady. were in my you fair lady. Freshman do not. You. you you don't know no. this freshman no. year. The last, the last musical that the music department ever put on before Candide, which was a partnership with the drama department, so it doesn't count, um, was My Fair Lady, my freshman spring. I auditioned, quote unquote, in um, like December, and then got the email, and then in January we started rehearsals, and this is how I met um, Dominic and a whole bunch of other people as well that I, I'm friends with. But yeah. And um, uh, it was just a great time. I was in the ensemble, obviously. I was not a character. Um, although I did have one spoken line. But uh, no, it was great. And like, it, we actually, like, it was kind of sad. Like, the guy playing Higgins was n- not great for the, I, he was awful for the part. Um, but everybody else was pretty good. And it was incredibly low budget. Like, the costumes were just all over the place in terms of like period, but we tried our hardest and um, the people, everyone that came to see it um, really loved like the comedic ensemble parts, which we were really proud of. But uh, like the sore points of that whole experience for me were just, um, I was supposed to, you know, like those fancy, like long cigarette holders. Yeah. Yeah. I was supposed to be, you know, pretend smoking on one of those during the Ascot Gavot, which is the whole, you know, horse racing scene. Um, and the choreographer took it away from me because I didn't know how to. <laughs> no lie, like after like the second time we had to rehearse this number, she was like, "Katie, smoke. You don't. Do you know what you're doing?" And I was like, 
I don't know. I put it. I, it's not even real anyway. I just put it to my mouth and then I take it away again and I pretend to blow air. And she's like, no, you're doing it wrong. I'm giving it to Patsy. <laughs> so she gave the cigarette holder to Patsy, which is fair. Um, and then, of course, there's there's the get me to the church on time, which is this number toward the end um, where everyone's supposed to be like really lit. And my friend Sabrina, who was uh, much more worldly than m- the rest of my friends, showed uh, came to our dress rehearsal and watched it. And afterwards, she said to me, Katie, you've never been drunk, have you? And I said, no. And she was like, yeah, I, c- I can tell. Insert here another three full minutes of me continuing to ramble about My Fair Lady that no one wants to hear, and then getting mocked for it, and then Jack volunteered to provide a list of uh, all the wild things that happened on his travels abroad, which took place in Morocco and Mongolia. You have two minutes. Okay. So, um, there was the time that me and five people accidentally wandered into a gay bar in Morocco. There was the time I got drunk and lost in Paris and then proposed into the Eiffel Tower the next day. There was a time in in Mongolia that a shit-talked a Marine Corps officer and almost got jumped by him and his seven friends. There was a time that I went to an underground bar in Israel, and for some reason, there was, like, a weird nude painting exhibit in the bar. Um shoot what else there was the time that i rode camels in the sahara and went snowboarding on sand dunes there was the time i smoked a cigar in the mediterranean just so i could say that i did it um there's a time i blacked out in a cab somewhere in asia and woke up four hours later and was drunk until noon the next day there was a time i got in a fight the time I got in a fight with a German because I tried to shit talk the U.S. and the German soccer teams who were playing the World Cup and the U.S. lost really bad. He was really bad because I I was young and stupid. You were a little two years younger. We don't need to worry about when it was. Um, This this all just says so much about us, though, that, like, Ian, like, didn't feel like he had anything interesting to say. I told, like, a wholesome theater story, and then Jack follows that up with a list of horrible decisions. Yeah, these are all my horrible... Well, getting... Well, proposing in Paris wasn't a horrible decision. This is a terrible episode. I don't really care. Um, I have things to do. Let's just forget this... Yeah. I'm gonna edit this into something. I'm gonna try, but it's still gonna be a terrible episode. It happens. What do you... Do we have any ideas for next time? Uh, let's make this the finale. <laughs> no, it's a it's a um, BBC TV show. Three parts. I mean, at least six. Then, um, any any, we'll figure something out. Okay. Okay, so next um, week, next week, tune in to hear all of us do our best Bob Ross impressions for forty-five minutes. I have not watched Bob Ross since I was eight years old. Now that I love Bob Ross. Let's put a little... Everybody loves Bob here. Ross, but like... Just our, just our secret. <laughs> the, closest, the closest thing to Bob Ross that I've watched recently is the Jenna Marbles video where she tries to do a Bob For Ross. For some reason, when you off. said, let's do our best <laughs> Bob Ross impression, my brain just, some for some for like a, a one hundredth of a second, just made me hear Bill Cosby. So I started thinking Why? about the <laughs> No rapists 
allowed. Have you seen the video where he's leaving the courthouse and they're all like, oh, they're like, Mr. Cosby, Mr. Cosby, uh, how'd the trial go? And he just goes, hey, hey, hey. And then everyone just gets dead silent. <laughs> he gets in, his, gets in his car with his army of attorneys. That did not happen. It absolutely happened. I'll send it to you right now. It does Who's get dead quiet, but it does like, everyone's like, just really like confused. <laughs> You say you put you put the roofie in the cup and they're doing the stuff. Okay, that's it. I'm we're we're done. Bye.